Dark Art Society podcast covers a variety of important and contemporary issues, including dark art, as well as other kinds of art, literature, film, music, also culture, philosophy, dreams, paranormal experiences, magic, and a whole lot more than that. I'm Mike Carell, director of Chet's Art, I Like to Paint Monsters, and you are listening to the Dark Art Society podcast, hosted by renowned artist Chet Zar. What's up? Hey, Chet, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Thanks. I'm going to talk like this the whole episode. Do you think Chet it will is be a robot? Do you think it will be distracting? Is that one of your inspirations or robots? You do paint a lot of robots. That's true. You know, one time someone told me that you know how uh different culture, different countries imitate different languages and you know, people when you're a little kid you People go jing jong 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 for Chinese, and right, someone, right. I remember someone told me that um, in Japanese for doing an, uh, an English mocking impersonation, they say bitty 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 because we don't have a lot of inflection. <laughs> and I've talked yeah. to people after hearing that. I've talked to people that sound like totally sound like that word says. It's just the the. Uh, the uh, inflections are so subtle that they just sounds like this one long monotone. Not that's, that has to do with anything. Hold on, the dog just walked in. Sorry, guys, the dog has to come in, yes. of course, because Doc has to be involved in the podcast. He likes to hang out always. in here for some reason while we record. Okay, so um, <clears throat> I guess today we wanted to talk about our inspirations because that's a question. I know it's a question I get often is how to get inspiration for art and what inspires me. And, you know, it's, everybody has inspirations. So. Sure. And, and also, you know, we were kind of panning the uh, audience of the dark art society podcast to see what people thought. And it seemed like there were quite a few people that were particularly interested in that subject. Yeah. Yeah. Taking into account your suggestions and your feedback folks. Yep. That's Dottie barking in the background. Sorry. We were uh, actually, before we started recording, we were talking about Alfred Hitchcock, whom is an influence, I think, certainly for me, I, I would imagine for you, Chet, in some way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. As, yeah, yeah. As far as directors go, for sure. Um, it's hard to say, you know, <clears throat> personally, what inspires me painting wise, because I know it's it's cliche to say, but, you know, you find inspiration everywhere in life, you know, Um but you know, one of many things that inspires me are, are movies and music and and you know things non-painting related, really. Mm-hmm. That 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 mm-hmm. uh, the inspiration carries over to my artwork, you know, especially for mu- sure. Even music. your titles too, because like that's some of the some of my favorite stories that you have to tell are like, for instance, uh, my three favorite ones is when you tell the story of where you got the inspiration for the title Avatar. Where you got the inspiration <laughs> yeah, right. for the title "He Makes Us Dream," right. and where you got the inspiration for uh, "Heart Eater," and also where you got the inspiration for a fourth one of "Dread." Those four ones are like my favorite uh, yeah. four stories that you tell. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if I should tell all of them, but those are no. Uh, but you, you should tell one of them. Pick one out of those because that's a good. I think that's an interesting translation to show how an everyday thing could influence you in that way. You know. Okay. Um. Let's see. The Avatar one's pretty good. That's a, that's a great one. <laughs> well, that and, and those are not the you know the, usually the uh, titles are kind of secondary. You know, I'll do the painting. It's all, like I said a million times. It's all very an intuitive process for me. So, um, 
Doc, come on, lay down. Now he wants to get out, and I'm not going to let him. Um, but uh, yeah, we'll take uh, Avatar for 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 this. Um, yeah, I had the. I think I had the painting done already, and it's kind of a creepy guy with his hand over his face, and um, I was I was traveling someplace. I didn't have a name for the painting. I was traveling someplace, and there was this lady next to me in my in my uh, in in the airplane. I was traveling by airplane, and she was sitting next to me, and she kept looking at me. You know, like you know, when you're looking straight ahead and someone's looking at you right next to you, it's totally awkward and weird. And she was staring me down, and I thought, you know, because I look like, uh, you know, I look like questionable i guess you could say to a lot of people and so i was just thinking oh she thinks some some crazy uh hippie guy or something or biker who knows what (laughs) so i finally kind of started talking to her because you know it was so awkward and then she started immediately started in on me about um this spiritual belief she has and uh basically went on this diatribe trying to indoctrinate me into this cult, which was called avatar. This was before the movie. Dude. And they're still around too, because I actually know somebody who was approached by them only a year ago. <laughs> really? They showed me the book. Yeah. And I took a picture of it. You probably don't remember. And I sent the picture oh, to yeah, you yeah, right. because I was like, dude, they, it's still real. It's still <laughs> happening. And and it was the same deal, but it was like a totally different scenario. But basically exactly what you said, where this like person I knew got railroaded more or less right. into having to deal with this individual. So anyway. yeah, it's like, it's like she knew I was a captive audience. I was stuck in this plane for you know a couple hours. So that's why she was, she started right in on me. And, um, you know, this is before the movie avatar came out. So, you know, people might think it has to do with that, but it doesn't, it was just this creepy cult. And, um, but she was, she was so weird, man. She had this weird glazed look in her eye and she was all happy and peaceful but she just wouldn't stop staring at me with those crazy eyes. When she told me about the wonders of, avatar and how it changed her life and oh my god it was really crazy but you know i use things like that for inspiration because it's just a weird creepy it was creepy thing to me and so it's like oh this is a perfect title for this creepy ass painting you know it reminds me of the documentary that you told me to watch that holy hell documentary Mm -hmm. she was chet she was trying to give you the knowing yeah right (laughs) (laughs) if you guys haven't seen and you want to watch a trippy documentary that's on netflix watch holy hell it will disturb you yeah Yeah, it's about cults yeah it's about a cult that still is happening yeah and and a person that perpetrated some pretty heinous acts for a long period of time and evidently still is so yeah it's definitely worth a watch yeah, that's the most amazing documentary ever made, but certainly moving and, and emotional yeah. and shocking. Yeah, that and that just just the dude alone, the the leader of the cult, is so creepy and all his plastic totally. surgery and oh my god, he's just a creepy bastard. But uh, <laughs> that, but that's the, you know for for titles, a lot of times to me, it's a pain. Well, I'll just go with titles for a second here, um, since everything's very intuitive for me. It's all about uh how if it feels good or right if it feels right then it's like bam that's it so as with that title it was like oh that's the perfect title for this painting and it didn't have any logic or reason behind it other than it just was i just sensed that it was perfect and um 
that's usually how I name my paintings is they just, they either come to me or, you know, I'll be, it just pops in my head or some situation comes up. I'll just give a quick uh, version of the, he makes his dream. I was, I was um, listening to the radio on NPR and this lady was talking about adopting a kid, I think. Was that what it was? was Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, I think that it was about something to do with like adopting a child outside of your race or something like that. I remember that That, was that sounds familiar. Yeah, that was like a side aspect of it. Oh, no. Now the other dog's coming in. Um, I got to shut that door tighter. Uh, I'll just keep going. Uh, And it's and she was talking about her baby that she was going to adopt and she said i just look in his something like i just look in his eyes and he makes us dream and and it, this is the the story i told you right i may be yeah, missing parts yeah. of it no, it was so long. far it's on it's on point with what you told me yeah it was a long time ago i was dri- i remember i was driving to drop off a painting at a gallery this is what i was hustling everywhere just to try and get my uh, career established during a lunch hour on my lunch yeah, break. That's, uh, that's 2005, which yeah. was uh, when those both those paintings actually right, right. from 2005. But but it, it was as simple as I heard her say, he makes this dream. And it was like, boop, that's it. That's the perfect title for this painting I can't figure out. And it just fits perfect. you know. And right. It, and there's no direct, obvious correlation. Like, it's an intuitive thing. Right. Totally. But, it, but it, you know, anybody that sees it is going to go, it's perfect. It's the perfect, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just, it's just perfect and that's what's cool about that kind of um intuitive way of creating artists that create this new thing that's never existed before by putting these desperate uh disparate elements together and you know that's the fun for me you know it's it's the puzzle solving aspect of right. it you know right hold on let me show well, and obviously, you know, I mean, that's a that, that's a good example of one where the phrase totally fits, but it actually doesn't have really anything to do with the context, which right. is to say that it doesn't relate to this, you know, in any specific way to this woman adopting a baby. Whereas like on Heart Eater, that it was like a very specific Yeah, that's fit, true. You know, because you were painting this thing that was inspired by this image you had seen, and it was like your translation your of this monstrosity of humanity kind of, you know. So it's interesting how each of them have their own little story, and some of them are obviously connected and, and even almost contextually mm-hmm. uh, connected, whereas other ones are not in any way, shape, or form contextually connected. Right, right. Well, now i got to say the thing about the heart eater just quickly. Do. That was my segue. <laughs> I was in Germany. I was staying with Tommy Lee Wentner because I was doing a, he got me a gig at a tattoo show. And so I was staying at his place. He's this amazing tattooer and, um, and super cool guy. And, uh, we were watching new, the news. Uh, and there was a, uh, it was like a Syrian rebel or, or so, some, someone, uh, like something like that in a, in a, a wartime situation. And the news in Germany is different than the news out here. And there was this, you know, corpse, laying on the ground this was kind of like handheld footage and this guy this rebel guy reached there's obviously a huge hole in this guy's chest but they have it blurred out he reached into his chest and he pulled his heart out and he was like said something you know in arabic or whatever and then just start eating the heart and they showed that which is weird they blurred out the body but they showed the guy eating the heart and it was just so disturbing so uh that i was like oh i'm gonna paint 
I just had to, I just did immediately did a sketch because it freaked me out, disturbed me so much. So inspiration doesn't necessarily come from something that makes you feel good too, you know? (laughs) So anyway, the heart eater painting was sort of like I, uh, you know, my interpretation of, of who that guy really was. And it's this horrible creepy monster who eats hearts, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you know, and if you guys are interested in seeing these paintings that we're rattling off here, cause I probably won't throw links for every single one. But um, if you go to chetzar.com and you go to 2005, you'll be able to find, he makes a stream and avatar. And if you go to 2013, one of the ego death paintings was heart eater and you'll be able to find it there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, sure. Yeah. That's so, where I find all your artwork. <laughs> I know. <laughs> like a walking lexicon over here. Sometimes Chet has to ask me what your painting's done. Yeah. It's kind of disgusting that I know that much about it. <laughs> Actually, I finally changed my screensaver the other day because I've had my screensaver you. on your artwork for like literally for over five years. How dare you? Yeah. So I changed it to something else finally. But I didn't change it to anyone else's artwork. I'll give you that. Because, you know, for you me, actually, Chet's art is a big inspiration for me, guys, as if that isn't obvious. You know, speaking of inspirations, you know, okay. I mean, obviously, I, if I wasn't inspired by the guy, I wouldn't have made a film about him. <laughs> so. So, but yeah, I did change it. I changed it to like one of the weird psychedelic fractal things that like creates fractal after fractal, oh, cool. after fractal and in focus and out of focus and stuff. Nice. Yeah, it's pretty great. That's acceptable. I find that acceptable. As long I as you're staring at it for like 30 minutes the other night. <laughs> as long as you're not cheating on me with another artist. No, no. Um, just kidding. Dabble with Chris Haas a little bit. <laughs> for anybody that doesn't know about Chris Haas, check him out. H A A S. Chris yeah, Haas. He's amazing. amazing he, he's, he's got a great. Uh, he's got a great angle there on stuff he, work he does. He inspires me. I mean, that's one yeah. of the things that he is seeing other people that are doing and executing things in a way that I would love to do and execute something. So it's like I have this amazing admiration for certain artists. It's not even an envy. It's like it, they get me fired up because when I mm-hmm. see him doing those flourishes and those skulls and stuff, it's like it makes me want to do something cool right. like that. It's like the kind of thing that I would like to do. And I'm mm-hmm. not doing what he does. And we have different styles, but his seeing his artwork gets me excited about my own artwork. So, yeah, I feel the same way in in the sense that it doesn't need to be a painting that inspires me to paint. Uh, it has to be a good piece of art, whether it's music or, you know, film or literature or, you know, a weird thing you saw on the news as well. But um, I just, I find that I personally am inspired by just quality work and new ideas and good ideas that, that fires me up. Even if it's totally unrelated to what I'm doing, even if it's a, a an Alfred Hitchcock movie, that's not scary or creepy, or even if, or, or like the straight story, David, that David Lynch film, that's right, his, right. his Disney movie. That's totally or the, or the Brady Bunch for that matter. Yeah, right. Jesus, I filmed you watching the Brady Bunch. While <laughs> well, you that that is, you know, in a sense, it's the disturbing aspect of the Brady Bunch that really inspires me. It's a weird comfort I get from it, and also a creepy, uh, creepy vibe I get from it that I love it so much. But, but point being was that it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to apply to what I'm painting. It just has to be good. Like the Beatles. I was listening to, listening to the Beatles yesterday. I was playing the Beatles for the, my grandkids because they like help, you know, and they're oh, cool. really like music. So I was like going through it. I was like, oh, shit, the Beatles have all kinds of great kids music, like Octopus's Garden and um, the Magical Mystery Tour and uh, 
Penny Lane. It's like they're all kind of like, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, Obladi Oblada. It was like, these are like kids songs and, and they were totally yeah, digging yeah. it. But I just kept listening to to it. And, you know, I found it totally inspiring. And, and you know, and it was this kind of poppy Beatles music. that's not dark or creepy. I just it's yeah, good. Yeah. It's so well written that it, I get just as much of a charge from that as, as seeing a Bekshinsky painting or something, yeah, yeah. you know, well, I felt the same way about like Simon and Garfunkel. Did I, I love Simon and Garfunkel and I get charged up off of listening to Simon and Garfunkel. Yeah. I just think they're great. They are great. <laughs> Cat Stevens. I'm all like, yeah, I, Cat I love Cat Stevens, awesome. man. But the, I guess the point being is that, you know, you can find your inspiration in so many different places and it doesn't have to be necessarily, at least not for me. And it sounds like not for you. It doesn't necessarily have to be something that relates to your own art. It just, Wow. I just has to be good, inspiring artwork, good quality yeah. work, you know? Hey, hey, a sideline. Have you played uh, Three is the Magic Number by Blind Melon for, for the grandkids? Uh, no. Do you got to look up Three is the Magic Number by Blind Melon. You have I never, to. I didn't they, like they that They even band. wrote it for Schoolhouse really? Rocks. Like, okay. it's, yeah, it's awesome, dude. It's, okay. so, it's such a kid I'll listen. song. I'll listen. I, 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 I play them Daniel Johnston songs because... <laughs> nice, I bet they really like that. There's, there's some, yeah, there's, there's uh, some good childlike daniel johnston songs where if you don't you know you don't know he's uh severely mentally ill it, it doesn't it's 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 a sweet and kind of innocent type music but well, that's a huge that that right there is a huge influence for me i mean if you guys haven't seen that film the devil and daniel johnston is oh, i think yeah. pro- it probably rates as my number one favorite documentary ever made and i'm a documentary filmmaker so it's like for that says something right, yeah, I right mean, yeah it's such a good documentary and he's such a character and it's so well executed yeah, it's a great documentary love that film i've watched it more than any other film i've probably ever yeah I mean, that, and that's including films like you know fight club and fear and loathing in las vegas and like some of the ones that are always running you know right. seven Sounds of the lambs. I um I would say that that is definitely up there in my top two or three or so. But I think the number one for me is you know as far as documentaries go is we Jamie Cono. No, that's up there too. <laughs> it's American movie. Oh yeah, American, American movie great. is yeah. my favorite documentary of all time. It's well, and I learned about so that documentary funny. in college. Actually, learning about documentary, they actually the first time I saw that was uh, in a documentary filmmaking course in college. They showed us American movies. So good because they were like so this funny. right here. If you could ever do something like yeah. this, you are the shit. <laughs> yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing. If you haven't seen it, you have to see it. It's probably well, yeah, and the Devil and Daniel Johnston as well. Incredible. Um, yeah, I mean, I also, I definitely, for me, Crumb on documentary Crumb level. too, there Crumb you go, is yeah. incredible. That's... And the other one for me that's huge, and I don't know if you've seen it, is Dark Days. Dark yeah, Days is I ha- amazing. I, saw, I I didn't, I, I haven't watched it all the way through. I remember when I was watching it, you hear that? Yeah. You hear the dog out there? Of course I do. It's, Dottie, right? <laughs> it's Doc. It's Doc oh, that's wanting Doc. to get you in. Lock him out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started watching that and something happened. I didn't finish it or I wasn't getting into it, but I, I have to watch it all the way through because I know you, you say it's amazing. But the thing is, that part of what's amazing about it is actually the story behind it because basically it was like a filmmaker guy who he was, I don't even actually, now I take it back, he wasn't a filmmaker. He was like, wanted to learn about these people that were living in the New York underground. And he basically got rid of all his shit and like and liquidated all of his stuff and became like an underground person in oh, order really? to like get to know them. Yeah. And then he like 
somehow used his money in order to get a hold of the 16 millimeter camera to shoot it on. And he used the people that he was making the documentary about to make the film. So it's like about these homeless people living in these tunnels, these abandoned derelict subway tunnels. And they're the ones that are building like trolleys and running grip for this guy in order to make this. And they're shooting it on 16 millimeter black and white. And then they like edited the whole thing themselves and like rented this room to do it in. And like, never filmmakers. Yeah. So the story behind that is partly, I mean, again, what makes it so interesting is not just the, the documentary itself, but actually the history behind how it was made, why it was made and actually what it did, because as a social tool, ultimately those people ended up getting public housing Hmm. in the area because you know, they, they, that film helped lobby for those people because they were getting pushed out of the tunnels. And so it, it not only was it an amazing piece of art, but it also led to social change, which I think is an incredible possibility that lies within some types of art forms. Well, that reminds me of, of course, the paradise lost films, which are also sure. Amazing documentaries. Sanofsky and Berliner just killed it. And, uh, 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 the, the uh, West of Memphis is amazing. I'm sure most people have seen that one, but that's kind of a great culmination of the whole Damien Eccles story in one documentary. And it's so much better than the other ones, really, of course, right, because yeah. not only is it so much more well executed and more timely because it's now, but it tells the whole story because they were making those documentaries as it was unfolding. Yeah, and they didn't whereas, know what was going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, really. the one that was made about Damien that Peter Jackson produced, That I mean, that piece was actually – you know, showing us everything, all of the evidence from now some remove and recognize right. the reality of what really was going on there. So it's it really is the, the most honest representation, I think, that's available. Yeah, absolutely. And that reminds me, I'll, I'm going to throw in one more documentary until I think we should move on to painters, uh, sure. inspirational painter, a little more of uh, what people might think this podcast is about. But um, the, the my other one, it's one of my favorites. Those are probably... You know, okay, these are in my top ten. I guess I haven't sat and ordered them out, but the uh, Metallica documentary, some kind of monster. You mentioned yeah. those dudes because they did the documentary on the Metallica. I think that documentary is incredible, and I'm not like a huge Metallica guy by any means. That's why it's so interesting to hear you say it because you're not I've really seen that, into Metallica that much. Yeah, I, I mean, they're a good band, but I never, you know, I never uh, bought any albums when they were coming up or anything, but. uh uh, that documentary is just so good and entertaining and interesting. I just really, really, I've seen that thing so many times cause I just think it's so good. It's so well done and so fascinating to me. But, um, anyway, so that's a great one. Some kind of monster. I think it's hilarious. It is, <laughs> it is really a good film. I agree. But, you know, let's talk about um, some maybe some fine artists. You know? Yeah, sure. I mean, I can definitely I, I, there's so many fine artists that I love, you know, as, and especially it, not even just contemporary artists. I mean, there's a lot of artists now that I really love that are and I, I you know, I, I know I'd like to drop their names on here. But but there are also a lot of historical artists that are I, I know I can't see how they're directly influencing me, I guess, to describe mm-hmm. it the best way. Like, I can't say, oh, well, you know, Salvador Dali influenced me in this way or on this piece, but his work has vastly influenced me. Right. So it's interesting to think about that, too, in like, how does that translate? You know, I don't know exactly how it translates, but I can definitely say that his work inspires me and gets me excited and makes me think about things differently and alters my perception. Those things are inspiring to me. Right. Right. Yeah. Uh, um, that, for me, it's, it's, it's like a, as far as painters go, it, it would, I, I sort of have it because of the documentary. I was thinking about a lot of this stuff in my life. And so there's kind of a timeline. There's just 
very early period where I, um, my aunt, uh, uh, or one of my aunts, uh, she lived on the way home from, uh, my walk from school. So I'd sometimes go to her house and stay there, I guess, while my mom, my mom was working, um, cause I was a latchkey kid. So, um, she had all these really cool, uh, art books by, you know, MC Escher, who I became a huge yeah, yeah. fan of at an early age and Salvador Dali and Hieronymus Bosch. So mm -hmm. these were like very formative. I'm talking like first grade and stuff. I would look at these and, and, and really trip out. Uh, but the, the, the ones that in the, in the next phase of my life would probably be around, you know, nine, 10, 11, 12 in that range is absolutely for Zeta. And that you can see the, 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 um, the influence in my work for sure for Zeta. Cause he's, yeah, yeah, yeah he was, he was, uh, really amazing he was a, a an, an absolute artistic genius and uh, a child prodigy people don't realize that about him he was you know a, an amazing painter when he was a kid um so i was really influenced by that my my stepdad uh james R. he turned me on to frazetta uh with one of one of his art books and that just was like as soon as i saw that i mean i was into the escher and i was fascinated by that stuff and and dolly and stuff but when i saw frazetta i was like this is it. Oh my God, this is it. This is just like, ah, so he was, I call him my first favorite artist. You know what I mean? The first uh -huh. one where I was like, Oh my God. And any, this stuff is, you know, you look at it now and it's just amazing. And he wasn't even taken seriously up until recently. He's like just considered a fantasy illustrator, you know? Right. Right. But, um, yeah. And, and then around that time was also Giger, which I know you're a huge fan of and, Everybody's a huge fan sure. of Giger. I mean, he's, he 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 kind of goes without saying, but his stuff is so. I guess I had that feeling that you had about my work with Giger. Like this guy's painting a place that's real. That's yeah, what I felt yeah. when I first saw it. Like this is this exists somewhere, you know. And uh, and and then after that, uh, and this is totally, you know, uh leaving out a, a ton of others after that it was Bekshinsky, which i first discovered in the 90s from uh adam jones i believe i think it was adam and cam de leon possibly but i think it was adam who gave me the book it was like reference for um one of the tool videos and i just could not believe his work it was like whoa this is again it was just like hit me on the head with a ton of bricks well, and you've turned so many people onto him. I mean, I had no idea who he was until I met you. Well, he's, yeah, he's really obscure, a Polish artist and um, died uh, a few years back. But um, he's getting a lot of love now lately. You, you know, sure, that online, yeah. uh, seeing all oh, these yeah. blogs posting stuff about him finally. And there's someone's make doing a documentary, I guess, based on his video footage that he, that he uh, took. He used to be like back when they had the big, video cameras that he held on your shoulder, you know, put the VHS tapes yeah, yeah. in or whatever. He, he used to record those everything. old beta cams. Yeah. Things were like <laughs> monsters. So he, I guess he uh, videotaped his life all, you know, all the time. So oh, someone's, wow, cool. someone's making a documentary about that. But I guess th those are my three biggies in my, uh, you know, later in adult life as far as painters go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for me, I mean, I, I can't, I can't necessarily break it down exactly by what age I was. I, I'm not that, that skillful when it 
comes to that. But I know that Mad Magazine had a big effect oh, yeah. on me. Same and, here. And so, like, for instance, uh, Crumb. I, I, I learned about Crumb through Mad Magazine as a kid. And and I was a kid in the 80s. So it wasn't the Mad right. Magazine, of course, of your era. But uh, And also uh, Basil Wolverton oh, yeah, was yeah. another one of the artists that in you know was was in Mad Magazine. And again, I as an adult now, I know the name. As a kid, I didn't know the names. Right, I just yeah. knew the artwork, you know. But th- so I guess as a kid, those ones, and then definitely, of course, as you said, Giger, because I remember I told this story already. But it was the, I was doing the project on psychedelics, and I found his work because it was in, as an example of someone tripping on psychedelics, <laughs> you know. And <laughs> very was, very oh, bad trip. Yeah, right. And that was, of course, because it was propaganda. You know, the right. work was like trying to tell you why not to do psychedelics. And right. like, because you could have an HR Giger trip, you know, or whatever. Like, Sign me up. <laughs> but also, of course, Dali, I said, and then, you know, Hieronymus Bosch, as you said. But for for me, Goya was huge mm. when I was when I was a young person because Goya's prints are like there's they're political, but they're so dark and like just like, you know, yeah, like he, chopped up bodies hanging in trees and stuff. Yeah, he, like, might the, like, he might be the first. First, the first dark artist. Yeah, you know yeah. I mean? Goya's like fascinating, right? You know? Yeah, I didn't get so into his stuff huge. until later, uh, until later in life. Yeah, yeah and he's then amazing. Francis Bacon, of course. Francis oh, Bacon. Yeah. So you're you're mentioning all these ones I forgot. <laughs> Francis Bacon's work is so weird mm. and like. It's so the kind of stuff I see in my dreams that, it, again, it's like the same thing with your. That's how, that's how I feel about Goya. Same thing with Bosch, all that. It's like stuff I've seen in my right. dreamscape, you know? Yeah. For sure. So those were all huge for me as a kid. And then I'll throw two more on here. Uh, Marcel Duchamp, I learned about in college. And I, I love Marcel Duchamp. Huh. I think Marcel Duchamp was really the reason that – Everything happened around that era with surrealism and Dadaism and all of that. I think he's like the unsung hero of that era. Marcel hmm. Duchamp did some amazing stuff. Like, you know, the uh, uh, what is it? The uh, I'm trying to remember now. So I can't even remember the names of his work anymore. That I mean, some of the yeah, well, that's that's the obvious one. I mean, right. the urinal thing was was called a ready-made. And the right. whole thing about the ready-made was like he was fucking with the art scene. He was mm-hmm. like, I'm going to go buy a urinal. I'm going to write our mutt on it, and I'm going to dress up in drag and show up at the show and be like, there's my art. Yeah. You know? <laughs> But he did these amazing pieces of work, and they're, the titles are really long. The New Descending the Staircase was huge. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. You know, almost like cubism to another degree. You yeah, know? yeah. So he was big for me. And then also the one that I turned you on to, who's probably one of my all-time favorite artists, is Edward Keenholz. And Keenholz is the guy oh, that does right. those crazy installations and dioramas and things. They're like full-size right. scenes, basically, you know? So yeah. he's and, and I tr- I got turned on to him when I was in high school. I remember I'd gone down to WSU for like a football game. I was a little punk rocker. And my parents were alumni and my sister was going to college. So they're all like doing the, you know, cougar football thing. And I'm like, oh, God, you know, <laughs> I want a skateboard. So I brought my skateboard and I was down there and we were staying at some kind of a breakfast, like a bed and breakfast type place. And this lady at this bed and breakfast had an Edward Keenholz like tabletop art book. And I picked it up and was like, oh, my God, like, <laughs> where have you been my life (laughs) it was amazing and then later in life at the portland museum i actually got to see one of his pieces 
that's in the Portland Museum in the contemporary section up close and personal. And it's just like the scene is basically like as if uh, you were to see what uh, uh, the station for a night clerk at a seedy hotel like looks like right but it's a cutaway so it's like you could walk around it and you can see the back of the building and then like the side where the window would be but then the insides cut away so you can see the whole setup where there's like an ashtray with a cigarette and it's got all the ashes coming off and it's like in lucite so it's like looks oh, cool. perfect like for real you know and there's just like like all the decor and like it's all circa items like the telephone and right. it's like a snapshot of time of just some creepy weird dark little area that you get to like peek at like a fly in the wall. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So he's, he's definitely a you know, really affected me. And I, and I wouldn't say directly again, I can't say, well, yeah, I've made art that is emulating him or even that I can see a direct collection connection, but his work was so inspiring and so profound to me when I saw it, that it was like an earthquake. You uh-huh. know what I mean? I can't know the way to describe it. It changed my world. You wow. know? All of those artists. I yeah. Say. Yeah. Yeah, that the the Mad Magazine is uh, is is a great reminder that that was a huge influence on me in the seventies. I got a lot of because I have an older brother and older sister, so I got a lot of their hand me down stuff. Cause, so I got I remember I had one of these. It was actually a Mad Magazine book that had art from the old Mad Magazine from the fifties and sixties. Wow, cool. Yeah, and that was some really cool stuff and really weird and really different. Um, darker in a way a lot of it is really pretty dark really? yeah yeah oh, i'll cool. have to show it to you sometime it's really cool a lot more subver- i have some of those little mad handbooks still like the little mini like oh mad yeah hand, I, handbook things yeah i still have some i do of those too i've got around. yeah there was a there was a don martin was an artist that, that uh mm-hmm. put out books i have a bunch of don martin books and al jaffe Mine are all like al jaffe yeah, yeah. <laughs> al jaffe al jaffe mad fold-ins those are great i used oh. to make mad fold-ins when i was a kid oh yeah yeah <laughs> I have a couple. That's of them. cool. I wish I, I I didn't have the skill for that. I made I was into mazes. I really like to oh, draw yeah. mazes, and I would and most of them like of course they would open up into some kind of like a horrible torture chamber. <laughs> and there, you know, there's only one way out. But I like learned that you could draw it and then leave spaces for big areas where you could draw like a blown out room. You know, so you oh, could right. see. And like spikes and like blades spinning, and it's like <laughs> you are ground to death. You're pulverized. <laughs> Very D and D. I I wish I could have. I wish I could have had the skill set to make my own foldings. That would have been awesome. Yeah, that would, those were fun. But that the Mad Magazine reference reminds me as well of something that was a huge influence on me and uh, inspiration still is are the EC horror comics from the fifties and sixties, mm-hmm. um, Tales from the Crypt and. Uh, uh, all, all the all the horror magazines from that era. I just love the the the, the illustration, um, the technique, and the styles. There's some a really unique style. I guess it's kind of like old Superman comics and stuff like that. But um, uh, but it's all horror stuff. And <clears throat> really, <clears throat> my love of zombies and stuff probably started there because they have just would do these amazing zombies. Uh, uh, I can't think of the artist's names, but I've got a couple books on them I just got recently. But those were just really hugely inspirational to me as a kid. I would just, God, it's something about, I would just look at them and it just felt like home to me. I don't know how to describe it, which is really <laughs> fucked up in a way. No, I mean, that makes sense again because it's like if it's, you know, if you're if you're connecting with something that you felt like only you had a connection with, then it like gives you this sense of that. I'm not the only one, you know what I right. mean? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I feel this way too, you know, or, right, or I'm, right. I'm getting a feeling from this that I can relate to somehow because yeah. of 
whatever, you know. But it's weird too the the kind of connections that you don't expect to happen because like I know for you like you even mentioned to me that Norman Rockwell is an influence to you mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah and so again there's some of these weird connections because I've realized now looking back at some of the work I've done that Sesame Street had a huge effect on mm. me now Jim, I'm sure it did Jim, for me too yeah know? yeah right but I haven't like, thought Jim about Jim Henson's it. obvious Jim Henson's like of course because you know the Dark Crystal all this mm-hmm. cool stuff but with that on the side I realize now that half the reason I like to do all the stop action stuff i like to do is because of fucking sesame street <laughs> you know they did some of the coolest stop action stuff you right. know like and it did it wasn't maybe that's that why you did the little boat weird, thing in the you know? documentary <laughs> i'm sure that's why I did the little that boat looks so thing. sesame street <laughs> someday we'll tell what that I story love is that i even tricked you because you thought it was like some big old thing and yeah, it was right. like this tiny little thing <laughs> that's true you did get me there that's a, that's yeah, a story no, for I another time. I realized I was like, Sesame Street totally affected me. You know yeah, what I mean? It did. Yeah, how- yeah, it's true. Yeah, it did me too. Now that I think about it, but I never thought about it. But Oscar the Grouch was amazing and Animal. Oh, and like, and also like Snuffleupagus, like the whole idea that Big Bird had an imaginary thing that no one else could see that was this huge, like shambling, like right. monster, you know, like that, that's how I felt in my life. Right. I was like, I'm walking around with this something thing fucking following me around. Everybody, <laughs> nobody can see it. Right. You know? Yeah, well, he was a, Jim Hansen was definitely a genius for sure. Oh, yeah. Um. Well, uh, you know, the, the we could I, I think we should. um talk about some contemporary artists as well because there's a ton of contemporary artists like peers and stuff that inspire us you know definitely absolutely i mean i, mean, I already mentioned chris haas earlier yeah he definitely it's one of those people that chris and actually uh, for any of you tattoo uh, professionals out there i just wrote an article for a uh, tattoo master that's going to be coming out and i did a whole feature on the haas brothers the haas brothers gallery oh, cool. chris haas blue haas blue is gr- uh, a great sculptor too he does really amazing uh, uh found like sculptures out of junk calls it techidermy oh that's great yeah techidermy yeah he takes old electric it's great he takes old electronic uh uh parts and turns them into sculptures that are kind of representational like faces and stuff really clever really really great great work and even the older brother, Jeff, I mean, dude, Jeff Haas, the, I, I saw Chris showed me this video of him. He built an entire robotic suit out of found recycled parts that literally he fits inside of. He can walk in. It even has a voice changing mechanism uh, on it. And amazing. It, I mean, it's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. <laughs> that's a creative it's like, family. It's, beyond, man. <laughs> it's totally beyond, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's great. That's great. Um, Christopher Ulrich, of course, we got to mention his stuff is totally amazing. And I saw uh, uh, Fred. Co- Fred was blowing him up. Yeah, Fred Cotero. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's French, but he was yeah. posting a bunch of stuff on Facebook the other day. And that was like, oh, man. Yeah, he's so good. So, so good. Um, and prolific, too. Like, I mean, that was what blew me away was I. I'm paintings are giant, paintings. man. Yeah, they're huge. And there's so many of <laughs> I know, them. It's, it's like, crazy. Oh, when did he do all these? I'm telling you, he's like a mad genius. And he's going to be That's on what I show. even wrote on one of the posts. I was like, he's a fucking genius. You should see stuff. his sketchbooks, man. It's like, wow. You know, this dude is is, is uh, off in another world for sure. He's he's. He's a, he's a real live genius. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I should, you know, this, I haven't written anything down, so it's going to be kind of, uh, I, I know I'm going to leave people out, but Cam DeLeon was a huge influence on me as well. I've worked with him and with, uh, tool in the beginning and, um, 
he's he's a genius too i mean his artwork is unbelievably great it is he's he's incredible he's he's way underrated well, I mean, that was, so, you know, I, I never knew the artist when I was listening to Tool. I was too young. So, like, I didn't know that you were an artist for Tool until after I already met you, knew who you were. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Just like as a, like, a long ways into my adulthood. Um, but Cam was the same thing. I loved the artwork that I was seeing that I didn't know was his, you know. Right. So, I think back to my 15-year-old self with, like, Anima came out or whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, like this artwork is amazing, you know, yeah. but you, as a kid, you don't bother, at least I didn't, I mean, maybe other people do, but I didn't bother to look at who the artist was, Right, right. <clears throat> you know, so then discovering that as an adult is like this whole other aha, it was the same aha I had with you, you know? Right. Um, yeah, you know, I forgot another old, see, I'm going to forget, uh, we'll probably have to do another podcast on this because Joel do a whole podcast just on contemporary artists. Yeah, no kidding. (laughs) Joel Peter Whitkin was another really big one for me. And he's the photographer that, uh, Jacob's ladder. If you like that movie, Jacob's ladder, all the cool, most of the cool stuff in that was kind of ripped off from Joel Peter Whitkin photography and Francis Bacon as well. But, um, his photography, he, you know, he goes to Mexico and gets access to corpses and positions them you know, in weird positions and takes these beautiful black and white photos yeah, that are all scratched up. Everybody rips this style off now, like in Photoshop. Sure. It's like kind of a common style, but he, as far as I know, he's the first guy to do it. He's, but he was doing film and scratching his negatives up and also shooting like just bizarre, the weirdest shit aside from corpses, like, you know, dwarfs and uh, Horse with his he's dick really he's out. like the reason that Marilyn Manson and Nine Inch Nails even did any of their music videos as you know as cool right. as they are. Yeah, it's all true. because of Joel Peter Whitkin, one hundred percent. Yeah. Oh, that closer the closer, closer? video yeah. is almost. I mean, it's a complete rip off. I mean, it's a great video, but it's it a is. total rip off of Joel Peter Whitkin, one hundred percent. Yeah. 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 I mean, Marilyn Manson's beautiful people. Same thing. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's, they're all, they're all biting at that for sure. Cause it's so good and it's so mm-hmm. amazing, you yeah. know? Yeah. But in that same category though, I mean, now we've gotten a little farther away from contemporary, but in that same category for me, the brothers Quay were a huge, are, I mean, incredible, huge influence. Oh yeah, on. definitely. And, yeah. and along those lines also Jan Schwankmeyer, yeah. because really young Schwankmeyer's work is what influenced the brothers Quay. But I remember being like a kid and watching PBS mm-hmm. on channel yeah, seven same here. as like a six year old and the brothers Quay would come on. And it was like so cool. Again, it was it was like shit I was seeing in my dreams. It was creepy and weird and dark and ambiguous. And you didn't really mm-hmm. understand what was going on, but so well executed. Oh yeah, it's so and powerful. Kid, it was so, yeah, yeah, so emotive. Good. Like, and I remember as a, being like a six, eight year old, and like I would have watched that over fucking Looney Tunes or any other bullshit like that yeah. any day, you know. But it was only you just like happen upon it. You'd be right. like, happen onto it, be like, oh my god, you know, turn off the lights and get all fucking scared. Yeah. It was great. <laughs> Yeah, they were totally, totally amazing. Jan Svankmeyer is totally incredible too. Really ground, and groundbreaking he's still doing stuff. Stuff too. Really? Yeah, yeah. He did a film. God, I, I want to say it was. I want to. I'm going to place it in like maybe 2007 or 2006. That was like amazing. It was live action mixed with stop action, just like Alice. Hmm. But it was like a contemporary film, and it was. I think it was about a log that comes to life. If hmm. I remember correctly, <laughs> I'll have to look it up, dude. It was so awesome. I'm going to look it up while you talk about. Something okay. Else. Oh, well, I, as far as contemporary artists, uh, I that I would like to mention as far as influences on on my painting, uh, Chris Mars is a big one. Chris Chris Mars is 
uh, uh, you know, he was painting monsters before I was painting monsters. I think he's definitely a different kind of style. His, his, uh, you guys probably know his work, but he's, he's very much about disturbing imagery and, uh, really uncomfortable compositions and jamming all kinds of detail into a painting. They're just amazing, amazingly painted, really yeah, incredible. They're so well rendered. So, they're so good. Tight, so good. Sharp. Yeah. I really feel a kinship with him artistically though. You know, a lot of really? these, yeah, there's, you know, we, I don't know. We share a similar aesthetic with these, a lot of these flat headed Frankenstein guys and the, in the Halloween influence and stuff like that. Um, but uh, uh, another one that was really big on me was Brom, who's stuff. Right, right. Brom is more fantasy. I guess Chris Mars is a little more fine art. Brom's more illustration, fantasy style, and more in the vein of for Frazetta a little bit. But he's an amazing, <clears throat> incredible painter. And uh, I remember getting his book, one of his books in the mid '90s, and I remember seeing that book and going oh wow you can you can make a living painting cool stuff like this that was mm-hmm. like the first sorry that's dotty hey hey shut up dotty <laughs> oh, she's scared of everything this huge dog she's guarding yeah anyway i'm just gonna talk through it um yeah brahm's amazing and uh <clears throat> his he's got he another one that has just a ton of ton of work he did a lot of stuff for magic the gathering i think these cards and um oh, i love that game yeah <laughs> and uh uh his stuff is his stuff's just great i just love it. he's a really brilliant painter and really just amazing amazing his stuff you should follow him if you don't and i actually got to meet him and i know his wife now uh laurie who's really amazing painter like you know on the Brahm level, she's so good. She's incredible, and <clears throat> she wasn't painting for a while. I'm not sure why. I, I don't know if she was what was going on, but she started painting again recently. And she's like, Jesus, I had no idea you were like a, a incredible painter. Um, so th- I mean, those are two kind of big time contemporary artists. I know. That really, doesn't Barlow me. fit in there for oh, you? Oh yeah, we Barlow, talked about Wayne yeah. Barlow last time, and I know that Wayne Barlow definitely Absolutely. has affected me profoundly. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean that 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 actually goes in with my early inspirations back in, at, at age twelve or whatever. We're talking about the um, Barlow's Guide to Extraterrestrials, but uh, you know his work, all of his work, especially the the Hell stuff he did, the the, the Barlow's Inferno is yeah. just incredible. He's he's incredible. He's amazing. There's so many good artists out. It's really hard to. <laughs> There's so many good artists. There's tons and tons of great artists out there. It's really hard to, uh, you know, geez. Well, even more so nowadays, you know, with social media, because it's like back in the day, you know, you'd have to go to the trouble to find the book and then like Mm -hmm. look at, you know, nowadays it's like there's so many. I mean, every day I see artists that are just doing work now that I'm like, God, these people are fucking amazing. Yeah. like you know that linea straight girl like her stuff is just stupid good oh like, yeah, yeah. Uh, what are you doing like I, I can't even imagine being that good yeah <laughs> i don't even know if that's how you pronounce her name but god her shit kills me I don't, yeah she's sweden i believe linea linea i'm not sure but uh yeah her stuff's amazing this photoreal work often with water you know this yeah f- yeah the water thing super tightly rendered water it's, uh, 
amazing. It's like this. Kind of reminds me of. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. My bad. No, it's just it's it's so photographic. You cannot tell it from a photograph, and it's just like, wow, this is insane. You know? Yeah. Yeah, it's unbelievably, and she also does it kind of like how, because uh, I love Dave McDowell's stuff. She does it kind of like oh, yeah. how he does it, where like she blocks it in, like half that canvas is just white, and she's just like laying these chunks in. You know what I mean? Mm. Like almost like the paint, paint a painting by number or whatever. You right. know, but they're doing it themselves. Obviously, it's just like so trippy to look because I everyone has their process, and I'm not a painter really. Right. So it's like I, it's a trip to watch everyone's process where it's like they've got this one thing in the foreground that's so well painted and well rendered and crisp, and then there's like this kind of a half sketch around it and like right. white. It just it trips me out, and people are amazing. Yeah, yeah. There's, it's it's. The, I keep thinking of more names like. Jeremy Lipking, who's a kind of a <clears throat> more of a traditional painter, but so good, so amazing. Um, oh God, David Kassan is amazing as well. He's more of a traditional portrait painter, but his stuff's incredible. Um, I guess the point being is that there's just so much art to be inspired by constantly now you know that it's like every day it's on social media every day you're seeing amazing artworks you know it's like when in the history of the world has that ever happened now we have access yeah. to amazing artwork and seeing artwork as it happens yeah I, I find one thing i find really inspiring is seeing process videos mm -hmm. i really enjoy that 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 like makes me go oh man i want to paint you know, I want to do something. Just, I love seeing the process and, uh, God, oh, and this Dos Diablos this paint, painter from Mexico is amazing. This new guy, he's this young guy. He's so good. I love, I really love his stuff. He's on Facebook. And then yeah. that guy, ML, what's his name? ML, E M I L. He's another guy from Mexico. He does the sculptures. Uh -huh. He did those crazy sculptures for conjoined. Remember, there he does these really realistic, horrific. Oh, I know who you're talking about. Yeah, that's those sculptures were ML, definitely kind of almost like the coup de gras of the show for me. What is his name? ML. I gotta find it. Yeah, his stuff is so so great. He's a new newer guy. Super inspired. ML. Men. Oh, fuck. Sorry. <laughs> Um, I have to give him a shout. Melmoth, ML Melmoth. I don't know if that's his real name or what, but E M I L M E L M O T H. His stuff is so good. Yeah, and he's yeah. a sculptor. He's he's amazing. And well, what gonna, about what about Lee Shamel? I mean, come on. Oh yeah, I, Lee's Lee's his scepters. Like yeah. what? I was honored just to have my just to have my documentarian chilling next to <laughs> chilling next to his scepter, you know what I mean, on the wall at Conjoin. Yeah, Lee's so cool. amazing, and he's new in the fine art world too. I'm really looking forward to what he comes up with because he's got just this wealth of knowledge from being in this industry for the kind of more special effects end of things for you know 30 years or whatever. It's really yeah. incredible. What's the what's the uh, artist's name? Pussy Eight is that Yasmin? 
Oh yeah, it's mean bleep 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 something like Gatsby that. Weiss. Anyway, her stuff is is again kind of in that same realm of like so cool. Like it's so photorealistic to me, but then at the same time it's weird because it's like yeah. it kind of really disturbing expressions and like almost somehow like reminds me of like uh like Soundgarden's video Black Hole Sun. <laughs> somehow like yeah. the facial expressions are like beyond and the colors that she uses yeah. to change the skin tones and yeah. stuff. It's just so original it's so cool man i think we should stop focusing on contemporary people for a bit hey, you started it i know and i'm stopping <laughs> it because <laughs> there's so many i'm gonna leave out and i'm gonna feel bummed about and it and then everyone's it gonna yeah yeah because there's because you brought up uh, uh uh what's his name who did the you, you commissioned to do the uh Fear dave. yeah dave mcdowell another guy yeah. is incredible incredibly skilled painter really amazing there's so many we can maybe, right, moving on then we're yeah moving let's on. moving on let's move let's, i think why don't go to directors myself because i there's okay. a lot of, i'm a filmmaker so yeah oh no films are <laughs> that's the thing is uh i i feel like i'm as influenced by music and film as much as i am by other painters you know sure. absolutely so you go i mean you, we you and i both obviously talked david lynch to death on the first episode yeah. so if you want to hear us talk about david lynch go back to the introduction <laughs> yeah because you know I mean? there's only so much time but we both love david yeah lynch. huge influence for Liz sure stopper for me for sure no question yep, absolutely but i think also in the in the more obscure realm and and I've, i'm thinking of this recently as uh andre tarkovsky because uh i turned andrew hawkins on to stalker and i also turned you on to stalker mm-hmm. and and that Andre Tarkovsky was so far of his, ahead of his time. I mean, he's the he he made the original Solaris, which has now been made into a, you know a George Clooney film and all kinds of other right. stuff. But that guy was so far ahead of his time. And the film Stalker is like one of those films that is absolutely a piece of art, and it's mm-hmm. so philosophical and so thought provoking and so visually jarring that it's just like there's nothing else out there like it, mm-hmm. you know. It, it's it, so for me, he's another kind of one of those more obscure directors. He's not a Kubrick, you know what I mean? Right. He's not Oliver Stone, which are both, you know, <laughs> directors I really like. But, but Tarkovsky's really underrated and he's done a lot of amazing film work. Yeah. He's like a, he's, he's like a Bekshinsky type or, you know, sure, amazing, yeah. amazing work ahead of your time. And not and a he's lot affected of people know a lot that. of other people like mm-hmm. Joel Wicken, Joel Peter Wicken, you know, like when you think about, I was just telling Andrew, uh, you know, like the cell, you know, Tarsim Singe, Tak Fujimoto, you know, the DP and the director of that film, you watch the cell and then watch Stalker or watch Stalker and then watch the cell and tell me that those guys weren't like profoundly affected right. by this work. It's almost as obvious as like Nine Inch Nails closer and right. it's that close. You know? I see. Yeah. Some of those dreamscapes that they shoot in the setups. Yeah. I see a lot of Bekshinsky ripoffs too in film. Um, and I, and I know that for a fact because there's a lot of times you would, these would be presented in meetings, you know, as, as, something to copy you know so uh, uh-huh. a lot of the a lot of these guys they they're influential but people don't know their names except like industry insiders and stuff what now what about scorsese he's like oh yeah scorsese's amazing he's he's one of my favorites his stuff is is so consistently good and so artfully done i mean casino he's a true amazing. filmmaker yeah casino is so i love because i like casino better than goodfellas goodfellas is amazing but <laughs> casino is just Something about it is just so good. 
Well, I really like it too because I worked in casinos for yeah. so long. So it's 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 fascinating for its own reasons, you know. Yeah, Scorsese's right up there. I mean, I would put Scorsese up there with, you know, for me, like the the big dogs is like Francis Ford Coppola, mm-hmm. Scorsese, Stanley Kubrick, true, yeah. Oliver Stone. You know what I mean? Those guys are like the top dogs in right. my world. You know, yeah. my filmmaking world. And don't get me wrong, I like the Tarantino, Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. You know, I like some of these other guys, but those guys are like, if you could do anything even close to what those guys have done, you should be happy with yourself. You right. Know? Yeah. Well, since, since we're talking film, I'm going to, I'm going to, of course, I'm going to have to bring up one of my favorite, probably my favorite all time movie, which is Night of the Living Dead, the original one. Right. And uh, so, I mean, I, I, I like George Romero as well, even though he's done a, a lot of, he's done some bad movies, put it mm-hmm. bluntly, especially the the newer ones. Some of them are pretty bad, but Night of the Living Dead is such an incredible film. It's like spiritual or something. It's cosmic. It's so good, I think, and it says so much more than what it really is, whether it was intentional or not. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's it's there's so much commentary on um, what was going on during the in the country during that that time period and. Just so good, so good, and I, I find that movie absolutely inspiring. It inspires me to paint. I put it on when I paint sometimes. And the same goes for Dawn of the Dead, which is like the sequel to that. I really mm-hmm. find that, even though it's funny, it's like, you know, there's a lot of, it's low-budget filmmaking, so there's a lot of mistakes and bad things and acting right, that's right. not great and stuff, but there's yeah, yeah. an overall... Uh, spirit that's captured in these. Films. Well, it's like the hills have eyes. You know, that's another one of those uh-huh. ones. It was like it was just really not that well done. But at the same time, what they were doing was so far ahead of or, anything else. It te- was so scary, right. it was so disturbing. Or know? Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh God, yeah, you know, that is Kobe like, Cooper. yeah, it's a it's a masterpiece. That that, that film is a masterpiece, and uh, it's weird. That's the thing. Interesting thing about artists. You know, I was thinking about this with the Beatles the other day, like listening to all these songs i was like how could one you know i was thinking of paul mccartney specifically because you can kind of tell paul mccartney songs versus john lennon songs i think even though they're credited as writing the songs together but i'm just like how could someone write so many amazing songs and it's and i think part of it has to do with the time you're in and just kind of like getting in on this wave or something tuning into this frequency you know, it's almost like a a matter of chance in a way. You know, it's just like Night of the Living Dead is this masterpiece movie, and then you've got, you know, one of the recent Diary of the Dead or whatever he did. It's just so right, right. awful. It makes you think that that uh he was in the spirit then, back then, you know, and maybe yeah, he's not yeah. so much now. And 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 it's like that a lot with musicians too. You know, you see bands that make amazing do amazing work and um and then they kind of lose it. Yeah. Know? Well, like, and I can, I mean, for me on, on that level, like Modest Mouse, I loved their first, you know, uh, three or four albums, but it's like, now I just don't really care for anything that they do. They like had this them. really amazing energy, but it's like, they just kind of lost it somewhere along the way. Whereas like a band like Radiohead, they just, they cannot right. lose. Or, <laughs> they just can't. Or Tool, you know, Tool's a band. Even yeah, though or they, Tool, for sure. I mean, they don't only put an album out every 10, ten years, but but still, <laughs> you know, they've managed to make that work and they don't put out shit. They yep, don't have bad, you true. know, they don't put bad work out. So it's true. There's something to be said true. for that. 
Well, and you know, even like for me with filmmaking, David Fincher's a huge. I'm a huge fan of David Fincher's work. I mean, yeah, I don't he's think like, he's done a bad film, has he? I can't think of a bad film he's done. I mean, you know, again, it's his. He's so. He's taught me a lot even directly. Like I watch him um, talk sometimes because he's the one that taught me the whole thing where like if you're looking, you're trying to figure out if your frame is right. Mm-hmm. If you close your right eye and you look at the sc- look at your frame with your left eye, you're accessing your right brain. So you're thinking about things creatively. Mm-hmm. You're thinking about alignment and all that. And then if you close your left eye and leave your right eye open, you're thinking about it with your left brain, which is mathematical, logical, you know, and, and structure. That's and so if your right eye and your left eye corroborate one another then you've got a clean frame Hmm. and that i mean that's a very direct inspiration like he i learned that from him you know not personally i don't know who the fuck david fincher is but but i i watched him say that and it was like oh no fucking shit and it's so obvious that's the thing it's like well duh but he's the one that i learned that from and that's part of what makes him such an amazing filmmaker it's no different than stanley kubrick the way that he frames things man Mm -hmm. that guy it does not mess around when it comes to utilizing geometry you know and so again that they're they're consummate professionals in what they do and they get what they want from their audience because of it you know so a, doing anything near that is just incredibly powerful. Terry Gilliam, another one. You know, Terry Gilliam's incredible, it's incredible g- director. It's Gilliam with the hard Gilliam. Gina. Gilliam is <laughs> my bad. Terry Gilliam. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Terry Gilliam's amazing. Monty yeah. Python was amazing. That's another yeah. weird thing that he was involved with Monty Python and doing those amazing right. animations in the '60s and '70s that are just still totally bizarre and. Those were huge influences on me. Those those animations in Monty Python's Flying Circus, yeah, yeah. are so weird, so totally weird. <laughs> Great stuff. I remember when you 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 put me through my Monty Python paces at your house. Right. <laughs> you like regaled me for like two hours with Monty Python skits. Yeah, they're amazing. You know, I gotta th- I gotta do a little love too to my black directors out there. Spike Lee, fucking, I think is one of the most amazing directors of all time. Like. Spike Lee is amazing, you know. Tell me a film that he's made that you can't totally enjoy, you know mm. what I mean? And he's unbelievable. And then John Singleton, John Singleton is great. again an amazing director, like, you know, just one of those people that I can't think of a direct way in which he affects me, you know, in any way like, oh, well this film affects me in this way, but it it does affect me. It affects my sensibility. Same thing with the Hughes brothers. You know, the Hughes brothers. Oh yeah, yeah. Their work just like there. There's this seed of disconsent or discontent, and this this just unsettling, disturbing quality that they're able to generate, and then also this amazing quality of interpersonal characters and dynamics between people that almost kind of take the stage away from even what's going on in the film. Like, again, just, you know, there's so many unsung heroes out there of, of the directorial world. Yeah, know? yeah, and I think it's people that are really into film only know them, you know, people that are sure, really, really sure. into people that read the credits of films, you know. Yeah, well, and, and, and I encourage everybody to do that. Because there's a lot more you can discover if you just take a few minutes to watch the credits. We put time into those credits as filmmakers. I'll let you know. We think about how we can keep you engaged while the credits are rolling so that you will hang that long. Yeah. I I look at – you know, I was never really into sports. So I I look at movies in the way that a lot of people look at sports, I think, where you're – you know the histories of the players and what the – you know, how well they did and their – whatever how many home runs and this and that it's like totally the same kind of thing but with uh artists and filmmakers and bands as well yeah yeah you know, where so you know anyway, the producers and 
Yeah, well, you're but you're crazy like that. I mean, I, I I'm gonna make fun of you again for your 3.25 second riff that I put on Instagram <laughs> that you called not only the band but the album. Like, <laughs> oh, that's Rush, isn't that off Caress of Steel? I'm like, oh. <laughs> so hey, I looked it up. Jan Schwankmeyer. The film I was thinking of is called Greedy Guts. It's from 2000. Huh. But check this out. He's got 36 film credits. And he made. He's got a film in pre-production right now, 2017. Wow. The last it's got to be like was 2010, 80 years old or something. Before that, yeah, was 2005, 2003, 2000. Dude, the guy does not fuck around. That's but crazy. Greedy Guts, 2000 was a great film. It was like mixed live and stop action and just. You know, totally on like it's so schmuckmeyer and weird and, yeah. and like it's it's about a husband and a wife who can't have a baby and so the husband goes and gets her a root that looks like a baby from the woods and the root ends up coming to life oh weird <laughs> wow i wonder if that influenced um pan's labyrinth remember the root Perhaps. baby thing but when was pan's labyrinth was it around the same time right time frame i don't know i don't know i haven't seen the Jan's funk I, I want to say Pan's Labyrinth was around uh, 2002. Let's look. 2006. I take it back. So yeah, maybe maybe it was. Because Guillermo's got really good taste as well. Um, Guillermo Guillermo's another great in, inspiring director for sure. So were you inspired to work work for him? Did you know about his his stuff before? Yeah, you I, I knew. Him? Yeah, I saw Kronos. Which is his first oh, okay. film, great. and I was a fan from Kronos, so it was like cool to be able to work with him. Um, and also, uh, the it's help the watch, right? The the scarab beetle, yeah, watch. yeah, it, low budget, whatever vampire kind of film, yeah, 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 yeah. That was really cool. Was, that was, uh, yeah. So I, I was aware of his work. Um, you know, I want. I I, I know we're. It's the. It's, we're running out of time, so I want to bring in the. TikTok. Uh, <laughs> I want to bring in the the music factor because that yeah, is, yeah. that's probably you know other than. Well, I don't know. If film is up there is with our music is up there for me. It's one of the most uh, inspiring art forms. There is for me as far as painting goes or any creative endeavors, you know. Um, constantly listening to music. Yeah. I always have music playing. It's weird too that it's it's with the whole you know downloading and piracy issues. It's it's so weird how the uh, I don't. There's not the same kind of value is not put on music as it as it used to, and it seems like you know what I mean because mm-hmm. people can get it so easily now. Back but back when you know when I was a kid, you had to go to the record store and get a record. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, right. And, and, and look at the album covers and stuff. But I was, uh, I will say visually very, very influenced by Devo. H- hugely influenced just in every way, really, because they were, they were an art project more than a band. Um, that's how they started anyway. But I remember as a kid seeing the Devo videos, I don't know how I saw them. I think on this, maybe a late night, um, music show you know before mtv or anything i'm talking like you know late 70s early 80s or something and their their first videos were so weird and uh really well done for low budget music videos and conceptual and i remember i made i started shooting my own movies because of those you know super eight movies after seeing those i was like I never finished them, but I remember, you know, trying to do capture something similar in, in, in a, you know, in that Jocko homo video or the day my baby gave me a surprise. These really weird 
<laughs> video so inspiring to me so inspiring and they and they still inspire me because they're just such an incredible band you know and the proof is in the pudding if you guys get chet sorry i like to paint monsters there is a shot of chet as a little boy with a devo shirt yeah, on, that's true and a bunch of his home videos that he shot that i threw in there <laughs> super eight so that's true that's true, but you know, I, I, we, didn't, I, we didn't get the rights to have that Devo shirt either. I'm I'm walking the line on that one. There, <laughs> it could have been a homemade Devo shirt. It's a it was a very minimalist like a homemade Devo. Shirt. Devo it wasn't shirt. though. That was that was the shirts they wore in concert when they would strip off their yellow suits, <clears throat> I think, and then they would have the black shirt underneath that said Devo. Or no, no, I don't know. I definitely can't fact check you on that because you know that you're the one that turned me on to Devo. Because aside from Whip It, like I had no I had no idea anything about Devo till I met you. So you've been like my liaison to Devo. <laughs> I, I so I mean it was <clears throat> it was I think the first band I ever got into was Aerosmith. I think it was the first <laughs> album I got. Aerosmith is great. <laughs> Aerosmith is great. I just think it's funny that was your first album. But the old Aerosmith is really great. Like yeah yeah it was I got it for Christmas. Freedom! Yeah. <laughs> um but I was, you know, definitely into just rock when I was a kid and then I, you know, uh The Who, I got into The Who. The Who's amazing, incredible band. Um very conceptual also with all the rock opera type stuff that really kind of applies to storytelling and art, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um Kind of uh, like, kind of like Pink Floyd, because they do a similar yeah. type deal, you know. Because Pink Floyd's more than just a band, right. you know. It's like an experience. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, as I got older, I started getting into prog because I was think I, I started like progressive rock, like Rush. I got really into Rush, and then I tried Yes, and I got into Yes a little bit, and I tried. I don't know why I never got into King Crimson, but I tried like Marillion, all these weird, obscure prog bands but the ones that i the, the one i really stuck with was rush because I, I think rush is amazing i know people are gonna give me shit for it but i think rush is really amazing I'll, i you like rush too yeah, yeah yeah joy joy turned me on to rush and and i do rush is fucking awesome they, as a kid though i thought they were shit so i mean I, it's all it's like i was like what the fuck is that i just couldn't get over getty lee like the sound of his voice i couldn't people. fucking get over it yeah. but the thing is is somehow i did and mm. now the weird part is i like yeah, it right. i like what spazzes out <laughs> it's great i think people have a problem with rush because they have they have gone into cheesy territory at times Oh, of course. But to me, it's Where's a, those kimonos on stage with yeah, all over yeah. the front. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, even musically and, and conceptually, but I, I feel like it's a small price to pay for how great they are in so many other ways. Lyrically, yeah. song right. construction, uh, instrument, the, the play, they're amazing players. And uh, so, you know, no one's going to be the perfect band. There's always going right. to be something. Um, well, and if you're experimenting, I mean, that's the thing is that if you're mm -hmm. an artist, you're experimenting, you're trying things. And so you're going to have some fails. Right. And if you're in the, if you're out there in the public eye, like those guys were, they're going to be there for everyone to see. Right. So if you're walking around <laughs> looking like a douchebag with a kimono on stage, <laughs> just get over that phase and people will hopefully forget that ever happened. That's actually a good doc too. Uh, great oh, doc. Great doc. Uh, you turned me onto that one too. Yeah, beyond the lighted stage. The Rush, do Rush documentary is amazing. If you hate Rush, especially, you should watch it. You should. You'll and it was Kickstarted too, which is also super oh, that's cool. Right. Two Kickstarters for that, just like we did for uh, I right. Like Pit Monster. You know, there's a Devo documentary that's in limbo that was huh. Kickstarted. 
And, I'd be really curious to watch it. Oh man, I want to see it so bad. I, mean, Every- I still don't care for their music. That's the thing. Like even though you've you know done all your stuff for me, I appreciate what they <laughs> represent. But like I definitely like I I can't just be like sitting there like yeah or like rocking out to some Devo. Just I can't. I haven't <laughs> crossed that line quite yet. But I am fascinated to learn more about them. Yes, you haven't. Let's we'll say you haven't gotten there yet because <laughs> I, I I still have to work on you. But uh, <laughs> there's some work to do on this guy because they're because their their songs are so good. That's one of the things about Devo is their songs are amazing, amazing. Especially their first three albums, "Are We Not Men," um, "Duty Now for the Future," "Freedom of Choice." There's not a bad song on all three of those albums. Like really, just I'll just. Well, and I also understand that Diva was a huge influence on on Tool. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so yeah, you I know, know Adam it's and... not to say they're not without their, you know, their, their prowess and their power as you know an influential band. They clearly have something. I just can't quite figure out what it is yet. Okay. <laughs> it's like, that's fine. Like I said, I got a little, we we, we got to work on that a little more. But uh, <laughs> I I, I want to just quickly I'll say um, after and then you can go on to some of your bands. But after. Um, my prog phase. I still stuck with Rush though, but after my prog phase, I was into prog because I was. I realized that rock and roll was very simple, and so I respected prog players because these guys were doing weird timing signatures and yeah. stuff like that. Um, but then I discovered punk rock, and then I was like, "Oh, that's the thing for me." And this is probably it was, I was kind of late to it, probably eighty six or something, you know. Mm-hmm. And um, it was after I was out of high school and I graduated in 85. So um, I got into Dead Kennedys first, which are a really great band. And they also kind of influenced me politically as, as well. But um, I got into Dead Kennedys and I got into the Minutemen, which the Minutemen are amazing. Um, and uh, I would say the other huge one for me is No Means No, which I'm always posting on Facebook. Yeah, no Means No is great. So amazing. So, 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 so amazing. They're like, to me, they're like the Beatles of punk rock in a way, but they, I was late to the game with them. I didn't even discover them. Till nobody I knows. Like no means 18, no. <laughs> but I mean, well, I mean, that was 20 years ago. So mm. I've known about them for 20 mm. years at least, but I was 18 when I discovered them and clearly they'd been around since before I was born. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they're the, uh, they say they're the godfathers of math rock. Where they've been described, but they're they're just a really weird, amazing band, great players. And, um, but for for me, it was I was I guess what I was looking for was something different. I got into Prague, and then I was into it, but a lot of the Prague stuff was kind of boring to me. And punk rock was like, okay, this is different, and it's got this you know angry angle that I liked. But it also, at least the punk that I was into was kind of the weird punk. It wasn't like straightforward hardcore it was like you know unusual it was the thing about punk when when my understanding of punk when i got into it was that it was about experimenting and being different being different than the mainstream instead of Mm. becoming a punk rocker and then it's punk is a thing that you do and it's this is the rules you follow so you know camper van beethoven's another one that was kind of in the punk scene the meat puppets 
all the bands I like from the punk scene, except for, with the exception of Dead Kennedys, even though they're they're unique in their own way with that surf guitar and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like weird bands. I guess that's kind of what I like is bands yeah. that have like a weird twist. Well, that's on why them. it always trips me out that you're not into Primus because like I Primus love. What are you talking cool. about? I'm a huge Primus fan. I thought you didn't like Primus. No, I love Primus. How the fuck did I? Get? Okay, well then, good. You're way wrong. <laughs> I love Primus too. Like yeah, Primus, Primus is, is amazing. One of the biggest influences for me. You know, it's oh, a yeah. huge band. For me. Yeah, they're incredible. <laughs> I mean, he's. Why is it that I thought you didn't like Primus? I don't know, because I'm like a bass freak, too. I'm so into bass players, and he's one of my favorite bass players. Well, see, you learn something new every day, even on your own fucking podcast. Not only do I, <laughs> not only do I love their music, I also love the way Les Claypool has handled his career. I think it's amazing that he's sure, yeah. done everything. He's done it in, in, a, in his the way, way. Yeah, in the way Tool has. They do it their yep. way. And that's all there is to it. And, you know, if for if you think about it, for a band like Primus to be famous and rich, it, it's, it's it doesn't make so any sense. improbable because <laughs> yeah. like they're so weird. It's like, you know, Captain Beefheart becoming multimillionaires or something, <laughs> something weird like that. But, yeah, it's I, I love Primus. I love. Well, good. I'm glad Primus. that I, I stand corrected. Yes. Sorry, people. Sorry. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> well, I'm not going to go into I'm not going to go into some big long explanation about all the different stages. But what I can say is is that I had a, a love affair when I was a teenager with crustcore punk, the Spokane scene because I'm I'm from uh, Spokane, Washington originally, Washington State, and I was really into the local scene. So I'm not even going to say any of those band names because no one will know who the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> and even if you looked them up online, they may not even exist online right. now because I was a kid. But the crustcore scene was like you know circle pits, skating under the freeway, you know basement shows, that kind of thing. A lot of fun. Uh, but at that time, that my two biggest influences was Crass. Crass was mm. my biggest like traditional punk influence, bigger than any other. Huh. You know Crass affected me politically they affected me musically i love crass i still love crass i, mm. I have i have crass on my computer right now also the band dystopia which is funny because you know <laughs> now you and i are writing this book dystopia <laughs> with a five but i love the band dystopia it's a three-man band they're from california the drummer's the lead singer they're fucking incredible they sample all kinds of cool movies in the beginning like the breakfast club and uh. um and uh, uh oh God, in the heart of darkness they made that into a film what was it called why can't i think of it apocalypse uh, now yeah apocalypse now they they sample apocalypse now in the beginning and they're just thrashing hardcore dual vocal just like uh. a, you know screaming about animal rights and you know uh. all kinds of amazing shit so they those were like my two like coup de gras bands really uh. i should look them up if you haven't listened to them and then i got yeah. into like marilyn manson and nine inch nails and all that kind of stuff when i was like in a, a teenager tool perfect circle that kind of stuff right. and and then i would say as an adult i'm really i listen to all different kinds of stuff but lately the glitch mob love the glitch mob um radio never fails me and the devil makes three has been like a, a big a, a big choice for me lately so so, yeah, that, that's as far as I'll go with music. Because I, I could sit here and I could do a whole yeah, thing. Yeah, I, I know, I know. I'm so same infatuated here. with music, it's kind of disturbing. So it's funny <laughs> that I don't want to talk about it that much, but I don't want to go down a rabbit hole I can't get myself back out of. So I have that tattoo on my wrist. There's a, a little rabbit silhouette, and it says, follow, question mark. I'm not going to follow the musical rabbit today. <laughs> well, I'll say this about music. is I um, uh I, there, there are, are moods in songs that I like to capture in paintings. Well, that's cool. I never you know? knew that. Like to me, dystopia. If dystopia was a movie, the soundtrack would be No Means No. That's just all there is to it, as far as I'm huh, concerned. Interesting. Yeah, like- that's to me the, the No Means No music 
feels like dystopia to me. So, um, I, I just, I, I just, I don't know. Everybody knows how, how it is to listen to something they love and feel like get that good feeling you get from listening to a song you love. And that just, that feeling inspires me to create more than anything. You know, that's the, you know, the big, I I said that the other day on Facebook, the best compliment I can give another artist is that you make me want to paint. Right. right. Same goes for bands, you know, or any, any good creative, uh, uh, artist makes me want to create, you know, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. the same goes for what we haven't talked about either, which is writers like Stephen King. Yeah, well, and I have a huge yeah, I mean, writing is huge for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I am a fucking writer. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I actually wrote a whole list of writers because there's so many writers that I'm really into. But yeah, I'm I'm definitely with you on Stephen King. He's an incredible had an, has had probably the most profound effect on my writing out of any other writer, hands down. I, I would say the same with my my artwork and my t- general taste of horror type of horror is. Mm-hmm. He's a huge influence, and I used to be a huge reader when I had time to read. When I was a kid, I, you know, I read them all, all a lot of Stephen King books when I was a kid. Because I'm uh, sure you were into H.P. Lovecraft and Edgar yeah. Allan Poe and all those guys. Yeah, but I was I was way more into Stephen King, and and it was yeah. actually as an adult, I tr- I did H.P. Uh, Lovecraft as a, uh, a teenager, and it was a little bit, um, you know, dry. And wordy mm-hmm. for for me at that age, mm-hmm. whereas Stephen King was just like so easy to understand. Yeah, yeah. you know. So that's why it was it was it was Stephen King and Clive Barker. There's a Clive Barker's Books of Blood were just huge for me, and then Stephen King. Anything he wrote was that's funny for you is Stephen King, Clyde Barker, because for me, it was Stephen King and Peter Straub. Like, I love uh, Peter Straub. Really? Work. Peter, yeah, he's his other. Uh, so I, he I was, love for the, me, those. It was those two for me. The Talisman was a, one of the biggest influences on me, that book, which is yeah, Stephen and King and Peter Straub. But what else did I, Peter Straub write? Have them? you have you not read uh, Shadowland is probably no? his best book ever. You should really? read Shadowland. That's just straight Peter Straub. Yeah, Shadowland is amazing. Um, but also Peter Straub wrote The Black House with Stephen King, which is also amazing. Oh, yeah, that's and right. virtually, in my opinion, The Black House and Insomnia are part of the Dark Tower series. They're peripherals. No one will, he'll never say that, but it, as huh. a reader, The Black House and Ta- and Insomnia are totally peripherals to to uh, and and to the Talisman really as well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I, I've never read any of his other stuff. Yeah, we'll read Shadowland. That's a great one. That's a, it's a it's an easy read, and it really gives you the taste of what he can do. It's got a slow roll in the beginning. Every Peter Straub book, like the Hellfire Club, I had to put it down for a while just because it's got a, like a slow roll, and you kind of he's like. I don't know. He's kind of more like a foreign filmmaker as right. a writer. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> you just kind of like you got to take your time getting into it. It's not going to hook you right away. It's not King. King's going to have you in right. a paragraph. Right. <laughs> you know right. what I mean? You have to work a little harder with Straub, but still, it's worth working for. Read Shadowland. That's actually Stephen King is kind of like. I I feel you know I, I would I would never say I'm capable of this, but I would like to be the Stephen King. Of painting <laughs> because <laughs> that's legit. that's be, a good thing be, to work towards because he is able to cross into the mainstream and get regular people on board with 
horror, you know, and I think that's cool, man. I, I think it's a cool, cool thing. I, I don't think well, that's what the dark art society, the whole idea of the dark art society about is, is kind of about right. that, or it's yeah, like yeah. trying to get the weird shit into the mainstream where people will accept it and actually give it a moment's notice and really be with it for a second and actually I mean, appreciate it for what it is. I mean, the fact that he is who he is, he's as successful as he is and he writes horror is, you know, that goes, I think that people don't really think about that that often. He's one of, you know, one of the biggest writers in the world, and he writes horrors, pretty nope, nope. pretty much strictly horror for the most part. Really, really, really hardcore horror yeah, at times. Yeah, <laughs> and that's like such a coup for people like us, you know, to to yeah. to be, you know, to be so good that even the, the normal people can't deny you, you know? Yep. Totally, totally. Well, I would say in for me in the literary realm, John Steinbeck is actually a huge uh, influence. Really? I absolutely. Yeah, I love John. Steinbeck. I don't think I've ever read one John Steinbeck. Really? I don't wow, think so. that's incredible. Grapes of Wrath. Well, uh, then I'll, you know, the Grapes of Wrath is all right. Now, don't get me wrong. The Grapes of Wrath is classic, but it's not the first book I would suggest for anybody to read from John Steinbeck. Huh. Seriously, okay. if I was going to recommend one book for anybody who's on the fence about John Steinbeck, read Cannery Row. Oh, Cannery, Cannery Row. Row. Yeah, it's amazing. It's so good. It's, really? And it's easy. Small read. Cool. Yeah, it's it's so good. You that I actually I would lay even if you get it on an audiobook, you should read Cannery Row on okay. some level because I bet it would influence a painting for you. I bet you'd come away from it being it's a disturbing piece. It's it's yeah, cool. I think you'd like I, I've it. got some credits on my Audible account, so I can get uh, I can get that. Steinbeck's great, and I and he he's been with me since I was little because I started reading Steinbeck when I was like ten. Wow! I started reading Stephen King in the fourth grade around the same time, so I've definitely been doing that for a long time. But also, female authors, you know, one of my number one favorite female authors is Sylvia Plath. Yeah, I mean, Sylvia Plath's work is jaw-droppingly really? rich. Oh God! Like the Bell Jar, some of the lines in there. I don't think like, I've read any of her stories. God, Sylvia Plath is incredible, dude. You sit down. I know like, the names. I, I, I just haven't. There read. are lines in her books where seriously, like, I will reread the line like five, six, seven times in a row, just the one <laughs> sentence, because it's so good. Uh -huh. It's so good that like that that sentence is a piece of fucking art. You wow. know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, she's she is a consummate, but you know, uh, writer. Of course, you know, also killed herself. She was a highly disturbed individual. Oh, really? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, she, you know, the bell jar is about uh, attempting suicide, and she did eventually kill herself. Wow. So she was a highly disturbed woman, but she, an amazing, absolutely amazing writer. So yeah, I would, uh, you know, if you can, if you can handle dark, hardcore stuff, the bell jars is amazing. It's cool. So good. Cool. I, I keep saying amazing over and over, and that's really a weak adjective, but yeah. it's true. <laughs> yeah. Then I would also say, uh, like, I love true crime. I'm a huge true crime oh, fan, right. but a lot of true crime is like total shit. It's just like, you know, just schlock. But if you want to read good true crime, read Richard Carlo. Richard Carlo wrote The Night Stalker. It's about Richard Ramirez, which, of course, would hit home for you because you were there when all that was happening. Yeah. But he's written a whole bunch of different amazing true crime books. Um, he even amazing. wrote actually. Yes, amazing. <laughs> <laughs> he even wrote one that was about, cause he died from Lou Gehrig's disease oh. and he wrote one about the process of dying. Oh, yeah, you from told Lou me Gehrig. that. You told me about yeah, that. So one. Philip Carlo is like, if you like true crime and you don't want to read shit, you actually want to read something that's good. Read, read a uh, Philip Carlo stuff. And then I'll close with two others. These are more spiritual esque typewriters, depending upon how you look at it. But Carlos Castaneda, mm. huge influence on me. I mean, profound, maybe Carlos Castaneda's work may have more of an influence on me than any, 
anything else that exists that I've ever encountered. I mean, wow. it is that profound how, how much it affected me. And also Rumi, Jalalada, huh. uh, I think this is Jalaladin is his first name, but everybody knows him as Rumi, R-U-M-I. Probably the most amazing poet to ever grace the face of this, this earth. I mean, his, his work is, if you sit down with a Rumi, a Rumi book, and if you're going to, get one that's translated by Coleman Barks, by the way. Coleman Barks is a Texan, and Coleman Barks does the best translation of Rumi's work because it's, you know, it's like Arabic, Persian or something. Right. But anyway, <sighs> Coleman Barks' translations of Rumi poetry, it, it they're so good, they're so emotive, that it, it does make you feel like you're going to cry sometimes. Like have, you, have you read, uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, probably, but Cahill Gibran, the, the Prophet? The, the book The Prophet is like his famous book i totally know the name but i i I have not read the prophet oh you gotta read it then you gotta read it he's that's the way you're describing Rumi is is how i describe uh the prophet and and i've read a couple other uh, of his things but the prophet's the one just you should definitely read it it's amazing it's like this this guy was he's not only you know writing amazing poetry but he's obviously tuned completely tuned in he's writing like an enlightened being you know i don't know what his story mm-hmm. was but he absolutely um nails it when it comes to uh, the spiritual you know isn't that the one you were reading when you were in italy and you had yeah. the like rocket ship out of your body yeah, experience? i had that crazy out of body cool. experience because yeah, yeah like, I, I remember the name yeah. <laughs> you that that's where i remember it from the other one now that you're mentioning spiritual stuff i get uh Richard Bach was a huge influence on me, which is Jonathan Livingston Siegel and this uh-huh. book, book uh-huh. called Illusions, which is really great. That, Illusions was a big one for me, really, really influential with my kind of spiritual development, I guess you could say. It really mm-hmm. easy, easy reads and um, really good kind of cosmic stuff. And uh, I have to mention, we're talking about inspirations. Also, Krishnamurti's amazing. Uh, mm-hmm. another uh, more like a philosopher guy and um, he was the guy that he was apparently enlightened he was you know there's a, there's a whole story about him I won't get go into but Alan Watts I would say is the top Alan Watts is a huge huge influence on me um, as a speaker and philosopher from you know when I since I was probably a teenager I, I've been listening to his, his stuff I remember it's funny because his videos people are putting his lectures to videos and putting cheesy music behind it uh, and um, he's getting a lot of play on uh, Facebook people kind of know about him now but I remember when I first got on nobody knew who Alan Watts was because uh-huh. I had a lot of my stepdad's books too because he, he was Alan Watts was writing books for I think for the 50s his whole mm-hmm. thing was he brought um, Eastern philosophy and explained it to Westerners. That was his whole kind of angle, but really, really great, amazing stuff. And you could find all his stuff on YouTube, his lectures. They're probably one of the biggest influences on my life <clears throat> out of anything. Just like mm-hmm. he's like your Carlos Castaneda to you, I suppose, you know? Right. You know, was, well, you know, what was so trippy about the whole Castaneda thing for me was that like the reason that it resonated wasn't because it was new to me. It was because I already thought all that stuff. Right. I just didn't have a way to make sense out of it in a way where I could actually recognize that someone else also thought of that that's it was like it, all it was was confirmation. That's what was so powerful was it was like it was just book after book 
thing after thing was just more and more confirmation for what it was that I already knew. Right. And so it helped me know it that much better. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think I've quoted, I quote Alan Watt. Watts like, I don't know what, maybe once, once a month at least on my, yeah. on my Facebook. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's definitely in my cycle. Yeah. He's amazing. I mean, there's a lot of people I just can't mention because he's, I'd go on forever. Yeah, I know. That's the thing. Mother Teresa. And yeah. <laughs> on and on and on. Oh, this right. has been fun though. I mean, of yeah, course right I, you know, I, half, like, so. I do like to talk about these things, but I also like to hear what you have to say because you surprise me oftentimes with the things that affect you and, you know, like the Norman Rockwell thing that totally surprised me or the Fonz, you know, that's <laughs> <laughs> well, Norman Rockwell, you know, a lot of these painters I like now that are more traditional, um, like Dean Cornwell and, uh, Norman Rockwell and these kind of illustrators from the golden age of illustration, um, Howard Pyle. And a lot of that comes from now that I'm a painter and I know how to paint, you, you, you know, you get a, different appreciation for paintings. You look at them differently. You see them differently when you know how they did it or you're not sure how they did it. Cause you kind of know enough about painting to go, well, how'd they do that? So mm-hmm. it was Norman Rockwell is probably not something I was into as a kid as, as much as an adult. Sure, <clears throat> sure. I, I, yeah, but yeah, his stuff's, his stuff's amazing. And it's, I, that's what I like about, it. I like artists of any type, musicians, whatever, that they can take something that you would normally hate and make it amazing, mm-hmm. you know, that, <clears throat> to where you still love it. Like I would normally the whole fifties apple pie America, white bread America. I would just, you know, hate that normally. <laughs> just I have that yeah. natural aversion to it because it's so not my thing. But he's so good at it. It's like it doesn't even it doesn't even enter in. I see it the way he meant it. Well, and there's dark humor in there too. Cause like, I mean, I was just looking at one of his recently where here's this, it's called the salesman and it's this like white guy and he's wearing like this, you know, the, the dapper hat and jacket right. and he's like <clears throat> selling this refrigerator to these Eskimos. And it's like, it's just so right. awesome. It's so, and if you were just looking at it first, it would just like, you'd, you wouldn't really think about it, but as you start to inspect the details and they're looking at him really kind of like, yeah, right. Yeah, you know, a, the expression on their faces. He's like, all yeah, about uh-huh. the expression is the thing with Norman yeah. Rockwell. Yeah. But to piggyback on that a little bit too, there's a, you know, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not like a huge fan of erotic art. It's just kind of, Ooh, it's kind of, I don't know. It's, it's just a weird, I don't know. Maybe it's my own hang up. but there's this guy, um, this Japanese artist that, uh, I was just talking to Greg Oaks online about it on Facebook. His name is rockin jelly bean. Have you ever seen rockin jelly bean? Look up no, rockin jelly bean. No. He, he does these like erotic kind of cartoony women, pretty sexist kind of stuff, but it's so amazingly good artistically that it doesn't even matter that the stuff is like, you know, almost pornographic and, (laughs) and uh, (laughs) kind of sexist. It's so good. His line work is just, it's, it's unbelievable. You gotta look him up. Rock and jelly bean. It's so amazing. It's kind of like, uh, I don't know, like Big Daddy Roth style. It's hot roddy, mm-hmm, but but mm-hmm. but more uh based on you know hot chicks or whatever. But normally I'm not into that hot chick art or whatever. I just <laughs> think it's like the easiest thing you can do. But he's so good. It's just I don't even care. Same with Rockwell and the white bread thing. I don't even mm-hmm, care. It's just he's mm-hmm. so good that 
doesn't matter. And that's what that's when you're amazing is is when just it's like what I'm kind of trying to do with the monsters. It's like make the painting so good that people you just have to say it's good. You can't go yeah, yeah. or that's disgusting. Right. You have to give it props at least to say, you know what, this is good. I don't care if it's a monster, it's just good. And that's the bottom line. It should be well, good. and that's like Robert Williams for me is that mm. same way because he Robert paints Williams stuff sometimes another. that are like super disturbing mm. to me, and I'm like bothered by it. But at the same time, it's so fucking well done that it's oh, like he's, you yeah. can't just be not be destroyed by it. It's so good. He's he's one of those ones I totally left out, which is you know was is a was a blasphemy to leave him out. You know, he's incredible. Glad I thought of it. Yes, thank <laughs> you. Which also makes me think of Mark Ryden, who was a huge impression on on me and uh todd shore as well the, these guys are just incredible painters but robert williams you know we wouldn't probably wouldn't be here talking exactly about stuff if he didn't do what he did so and his stuff's incredible so i don't know we should probably end this we're at like an hour and a half or something yeah yeah i'm ready to have a smoke <laughs> <laughs> i think i've watched chet have five of them that yeah would be jealous well um <clears throat> thank you for listening Everybody check yeah. out Mike's new podcast, Emails from Infinity. That's Oh, uh, thanks, Chuck. Yeah, that's on SoundCloud. It's really great and mind-bending stuff that I know you guys will enjoy. Yeah, thanks, guys, for checking it out. I've had a few people already head over there and uh, and check it out, and, and everyone so far seems to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. So either that or they're not telling me if they don't. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm encouraging more feedback. It's going to be running for you know the rest of this year um, every other week on Friday. So, yeah, tune into it. And uh, I, I want to say too, I'm gonna have a I'm gonna have a Mother's Day sale. Oh, cool! Yes. Yeah, so uh, I don't know. It, it, this airs on Wednesday, so so by then uh, it's gonna be sometime soon, like <laughs> before the weekend or through the weekend or a week around there. So just a heads up about that. Yeah, pay attention to social media and remember it's Chet Czar Big Cart. Chet Czar at what? Wait, wait, wait. I Chet Czar dot like Chet Czar <laughs> dot Big Cartel. Just do your own promotions. <laughs> <coughs> he has great sales, guys. And and I think that your sales, oftentimes you have, are you doing studies, do you think, or no? That's a good question. I don't know yet. I've got a bunch, of, I've got the Twilight Zone heads I did that I haven't sold publicly yet, except the mm. designer or monster pullers. I've got the uh, Wizard of Oz monkey heads. I got a bunch of new stuff that I need to cast up and and put online. So there's going to be a bunch of new stuff and new prints and new canvas clays and stuff. So... Cool. That will be happening. Um, and what else was I gonna say? I was gonna say something. Oh, please, if you if you like the podcast, please spread the word because every single day someone tells me I had no idea you had a podcast. <laughs> so um, we're trying to get the word out. So uh, likes, comments, shares, any of that stuff is really appreciated at this early stage in the game for us, and it will help us to continue this venture and and hopefully flesh out the whole dark art society um, concept that Mike and I have been talking about um, that we're going to have some stuff coming up pretty soon. I think that it's going to be really cool. So uh, yeah, ways for people to get engaged for you guys yep, to get engaged and involved. So um, yeah. if you, if you uh, support that idea, please support this podcast just by sharing and, and all that business. 
Yeah, and I'm going to throw the the usual at you guys. Every time I do this, someone does it, so I'm going to say it again. If you guys go over to iTunes, you guys can rate and review us, but especially review us because if you throw your words down, it just drives our search engine optimization off the charts. And the more of that we get, the more in the charts we are, the more people see us, the more it can spread, and then ultimately the more we can do it. So thanks again, guys. It's It's been a lot of fun. We always enjoy doing this, and we look forward to doing it every week and really enjoy all the feedback and the positive encouragement and stuff that people have been giving us. So we're glad you're enjoying it. And we're glad that it's, you know, it's helpful. I've had a lot of people say, God, this is just, you know, vital information, whether it's about getting into galleries or it's about how to market oh, yeah. yourself or it's just about, you know, what, what we see and what we think, you know, there's, there's a lot of people really, really enjoying. And I think even benefiting from some of the information too, which is fun. And that's what it's all about. So, yeah, I want to just say a shout out to Gary and Erica at Copro Gallery because he texted me today. He's like, I heard, I just listened to the gallery podcast. It's great. Every artist should listen to it. That's you awesome, know, so man. that's uh, coming from a gallery owner who's been doing it for a long time. So um, check it out if you haven't heard it. If you're an artist, if you're not an artist, it's interesting. Yeah, I think it is. I mean, you know, but of course we do. Otherwise, we wouldn't be sitting here recording this. We must think we're pretty interesting. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, well, uh, that's it. And uh, thanks for listening. Thanks for chatting, thanks, Mike. All right. Yep. Bye-bye. Bye.